Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. So while you guys are turning to Revelation chapter 6, Walt and I were joking about this the other day, but you know, there's a general outline of the book of Revelation, and it's in chapter 1, verse 19. And Jesus says to John, you need to write the things which you have seen, which is Revelation chapter 1, this amazing revelation of who God is and this picture of Jesus that only John gets to see, and he writes down to tell us about it. So write the things which you've seen. Write the things which are, which is what I went through in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the church age, when Jesus is rebuking churches for not doing what they're supposed to do. And then write the things which will be hereafter, after this, metatauta in the Greek, and that's Revelation 4 to the end. And so in Revelation 4 and 5, you have a heavenly picture of the things that will take place after the church age. And then in Revelation chapter 6, where we begin today, it's the earthly picture of what happens after that verse in Revelation 4 chapter 1, where it says that you should, he hears this loud voice, does John, and the loud voice tells him to write the things which will take place after this. Come up here, the voice says. The word literally means to ascend to heaven. So we see this as a picture of the rapture. Right, And so the rapture takes place at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. The church is taken up, as pictured by John, coming up to see this amazing picture of God's throne room and how worthy Jesus is, more worthy than any other. And we were able to participate in an extended time of worship last week. And that's just a foretaste, a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. And then we have Revelation chapter 6, where God begins to pour out his wrath on all of those who were left behind after the rapture who didn't believe in Jesus. And so it just so happens that Pastor Walt gets to talk about this beautiful vision of Jesus and the throne room of God, and I talk about judgment and wrath and seals and all this stuff. But we're going to go through it anyway. And as we go through this, there is great hope that you have to find in the fact that God doesn't have wrath to pour out on his church today. What we're going to be reading about is what is going to be happening to those who are left behind, who refuse to place their faith, their hope, and their trust in Jesus. And when they're left behind in an unbelieving world, because God is both holy and just, he must pour out his wrath upon the unbelieving world. And so as we begin to look at these different seals that are going to be opened, listen to this verse and keep this in mind. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Harpazo in the Greek. It means taken by force by the collar and dragged to heaven. Grabbed by the collar and taken to heaven. Those who remain, who are trusting in God, will be taken by the collar to heaven. They'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In the midst of your issues today, in the midst of your life, in the midst of maybe your heart being broken 
by just how difficult life can be. The comfort that we have is that we will not be here when God's wrath is poured out upon an unbelieving world. The world is not perfect today, is it? Life is not perfect. Life is difficult and it's painful. But one day, and I believe one day very soon, we will be in the presence of Jesus. And he will not be pouring out his wrath upon us while we're in his presence. He will be pouring out his love in a way like we've never experienced before. And his glory will be reflecting and radiating off of our faces as we enjoy his presence like never before. But today, today's text, what we're going to begin studying is what happens to that world that refuses to believe in Jesus, that rejects him, no matter how many times his gospel has been presented, no matter how many times truth has been presented, no matter how many times a hand has been extended, saying to that soul, you do not have to live that life any longer, you can be delivered. And they still knowingly, knowing the truth, they refuse it and they reject it. God will have to begin to judge the world. You see, the scripture says, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that God does not appoint us, the church, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He hasn't stored up wrath for his church. Why has he not stored up wrath for his church? It's very simple. He hasn't stored up wrath for the church because he's already poured his wrath out upon his only son, Jesus, at the cross. And as his wrath was poured out on Jesus, as Jesus stood in our place, we'll see in just a few moments, as Jesus stood in our place, he took the wrath that we deserved upon him. And because of that, God has no more wrath for you, church. But he has salvation for you. He offers you the gift of salvation. And so while wrath is being poured out on an unbelieving world, where do we see the church? We see the church in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, as 24 elders being represented around the throne. They're seated around the throne with white robes and crowns upon their heads. The church is in the presence of Jesus while the earth is being judged. Now, there's a prophetic timeline that we have to pay attention to before we get to this and we begin opening these seals. And what I want you all to do is keep your finger in Revelation chapter 6 and turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And you're going to have to really think with me on this stuff, all right? This stuff is meat. This is meat that we're going to be eating. Look at verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. And again, what we're looking at is where this timeline, how the timeline matches up. And so what we're going to be experiencing as we read through these seals is a time that Daniel foretold would come. All right, read with me Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It says, 70 weeks. The word weeks there in the Hebrew is heptods. It doesn't actually mean a seven-day period. It means a grouping of seven. Like we would say a dozen, or we would say, go get me a dozen donuts. It's a number that is ascribed to it. It's not a week as in seven days. It's a period of sevens, heptod. Now, the first time we see this word used is in Genesis chapter 29, and it speaks of a seven-year period there. Okay, so listen to what's going on here. It says 77-year periods are determined for your people and your holy city. God is speaking this prophetically to Daniel. There will be 490 years that are determined for the nation of Israel where God's spirit will rest upon them. 490 years for the people and for your holy city 
to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. 490 years. According to a Babylonian calendar, there are 360 days in a Babylonian year, which is the calendar they would have been using. You do that math, that's 173,880 days. 173,880 days are determined or ordained for the nation of Israel. Now, it says this, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, 69 weeks or 483 years. Are you following me? 483 years from the time the command goes forth to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the walls around Jerusalem, there will be 483 years until Messiah will come in and declare himself to be Messiah. Now, that decree went forth on March 14th in 445 B.C., Artaxerxes tells Nehemiah, go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild that wall. It took 49 years or seven weeks, seven seven-year periods, to rebuild the city. After that, another 62 weeks from that time until Jesus would ride in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding on the back of a what? A donkey. Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, which was a way of him saying, I come in peace. I have come to offer you peace. I haven't come on a stallion of war. I have come on a donkey because I bring peace. So exactly to the date that it was prophesied on April 6th, 32 AD, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, fulfilling scripture, declaring himself Messiah, and the people are praising God. They're waving palm branches. They're laying out their clothes on the road for him to come by. But just a few days later, the nation of Israel rejects their Messiah, and they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Read what this says. It says there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. We see that period fulfilled. 483 years and Jesus rides in on that donkey. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, after the seven weeks to rebuild it and the 62 weeks that is after that, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. So Messiah is cut off. Jesus is killed. He's crucified for the sins of the world. And at that point, at that point, something happened. Something happened in heaven. They rejected their Messiah. The Jews rejected their Messiah and now salvation is open to everyone, to Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. Do I have any other Gentiles in the room? How many of you are thankful the Jews rejected their Messiah the first time? Because now here we are, the church. 
and 50 days after the Passover, something happened and God's spirit came and filled the hearts of the church and they began to prophesy in other tongues and amazing things started to happen and people were being saved by the thousands because God poured out his spirit, not his wrath, on the church. Now in AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed. The nation of Israel no longer all the way until the middle of the 20th century, until Israel was rebirthed again, the prophetic clock, this last week that is yet to be fulfilled, we've only seen 69 of these weeks. That prophetic clock stopped. Israel was no more. There wasn't an opportunity for the anointing to be upon the nation of Israel because they were dead. They were non-existent. Look at this verse 27. It says here, when that last seven week is going to begin, that seven-year period, it says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many. There'll be a peace treaty, a covenant with many for one week, that last week. But in the middle of that week, halfway through that seven-year period, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So that last seven-year period still remains. God's spirit is still moving in the midst of the church today. God is still wooing through the church. God is still using the church to change this world. But the nation of Israel is still owed one last week, one last seven-year period. And that seven-year period is going to begin when the Antichrist comes onto the scene and he makes a peace treaty, he signs a peace treaty, finally bringing an end to all of the war that is going on in the Middle East. Is everyone up to speed so far? Now turn with me to Revelation chapter 6 so you can see this. Because the time that we're looking at, we're beginning to read right now, is that last seven-year period that Daniel spoke of. And it says this in verse 1. It says, now I saw when the lamb opened the seals. Remember, John was weeping because there wasn't anyone found worthy to open the seals. And Pastor Walt mentioned briefly that what the scroll was that he was weeping over. And in Jewish customs, when there was a deed that was written, there would be two deeds. One that was unscrolled or completely open. The other would be bound with seals and scrolled up, rolled up. And every piece of property that was sold had the opportunity to be redeemed within a seven-year period. And if the person who sold that property could come back and was found worthy to break and to open the seals, they could open those seals. And as they broke each seal, if they fulfilled the requirements written within that seal, the property would revert back to the original owner. Now, in Genesis, God had given ownership title to the earth to man he said here here's the earth subdue it control it make good use of it i'm giving it to you but at original sin as satan tempted adam and eve and we partook all of us collectively as man partook of the forbidden fruit we forfeited the deed over to satan and now here comes the lamb, the only one who's worthy to open those seals and to open that scroll. 
That's why it's so important that we understand that Jesus is not only 100% God, but that he's 100% man. Because the only way that he could redeem the deed to the earth is if he was the next of kin, if he was our closest relative. And you realize that in Jesus, you have a friend that is closer than a brother, don't you? And so Jesus came as a man so that he could redeem what we had forfeited, what we had turned over in the scroll. And so, now I am not worthy to open the scroll, but just by way of showing you what would happen, this is what he does. The first scroll is opened, it's broken off, and the scroll is unrolled a portion of the way. And what we're going to read is the portion that is exposed in that first seal. Are you understanding? So, Here's the portion we're going to read, and this is the first seal, the first seal, verse 1, right here, it says, now I saw the lamb, he opened one of the seals. He's going to begin to redeem the earth. He's going to begin to redeem what we forfeited, what we gave up. He's going to purchase back. He opens the first seal, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and to see. Remember the four living creatures. There was one that was like an ox. There was one that was like an eagle, one with the face of a man. And there were these four different creatures, and each one of them is going to open one of these first four seals. And this first seal is opened, and it says, come, or literally, go forth. He's speaking to this horse. Look at verse 2. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So the first seal is opened, and we're reading the first seal right now. And the first seal is a white horse. It's a white horse, and this white horse, many people misunderstood to be Jesus or the gospel conquering the world, but that's not what it is at all. This first seal is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is let loose on the scene. Again, look back at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. There will come one who will make a covenant, a peace treaty. Here we see the white horse coming forth, the Antichrist coming onto the scene. The church is already gone, and there's a gap of time there, space between the rapture and the revelation of the Antichrist through this peace treaty. And we don't know how long that timeline is, how long that space of time is. But the seal is open. The Antichrist comes onto the scene, and listen to what it says here. It says there that he's going to come and he's going to have a bow in his hand and a crown upon his head. Now, many people believe that this bow speaks of war. And the Parthians were the ones who gave the Romans the most problems. And they always rode on horseback with bow and arrow. But I believe that this is speaking of, of the Antichrist coming with peace and that this bow is referring more to a rainbow. He comes and he declares peace and he convinces everyone to live peaceably. Imagine the chaos that is going to be left after the church is raptured and after there is no church left on the earth. And God's spirit is removed and God's wrath begins to pour out upon the world. They're going to be looking for a leader and Satan knows what that leader needs to look like to deceive the people. Think about this just for a second. In Revelation chapter 19, when we read there, when we get there, Jesus is going to come riding in to judge the world on the back of a white horse. 
and he's going to have a sword go out of his mouth, and he's going to have a name tattooed on his leg, and the king of kings and the lord of lords, and with that sword that comes out of his mouth, the nations will be struck down. And so the Jews are waiting for somebody like this. So guess what Satan does in order to deceive those waiting for the Christ? He sends a good counterfeit, doesn't he? Now take a look at some of these pictures. Now, can you tell which one of those is the real pair of Air Jordans and which one isn't? I can't, can you? Show us which one's the real one. That's the real one. Now, if you're going to counterfeit something, you have to make sure that it looks enough like the real thing to fool people. Now, Vera Wang wedding dress, I don't know anything about dresses, but I figure that the one on the walkway, right, or one on the runway is the real one. So which one's the real one? But you can hardly tell. It's a good counterfeit. It's a good fake. Bring up the next one. Man, your guess is as good as mine. I haven't got a clue. I, I, Kelly saw these earlier, and he said, both of them are fake. Both of them are fake. So let's see, which one's the real, real deal? All right, let's look at the next one. Orchids. Which are real, which are not? All right, let's see. Real and fake. You have one more? Bring up the next one. Now, that's hard to tell. I, I can't tell which one's real, which one's fake. All right, is that, is that all of them? Here we go. Now, I want you guys to put on your, your really good thick glasses. I want you to look at these bills very carefully. You probably need to feel it in your hand so you can tell me which one's real and which one's fake, right? No. The one with Obama's grin is obviously the fake one. No one is going to accept that bill no matter where you go. Now, if Satan sent a counterfeit that looks so different than what Jesus is going to look like, people wouldn't buy into the lie. But he sends someone who looks just like what Jesus will look like. And so there's going to be a great deception that will follow. People are going to believe this lie, and they're going to fall into this trap. Remember, Jesus came the first time on the donkey, speaking of peace. And the people rejected him because they wanted someone who would rule, someone who would take over, and someone who would create peace, someone who would make sure that the Jews were taken care of. And that's exactly what Satan will send the Jewish people and they will fall for it because it looks like what they've been waiting for. Jesus said this in John chapter 5. He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you didn't receive me. If another comes in his own name, that's the one you're going to receive. You're going to receive the one who is fake. You're going to be walking around in a fake pair of Jordans with a Vera Wang wedding dress on, <laughs> carrying fake orchids, right? Because you weren't ready for Jesus the Messiah when he came. So this guy's going to come onto the scene and he's going to create peace in the Middle East. He's going to unite the nations of Europe into a 10-nation confederacy. He's going to solve the world's financial issues and create a one-world monetary system. And everyone's going to think, wow, this guy is so amazing. This guy's who we've been waiting for. Let me read to you what 2 Thessalonians says about this guy. It says, now brethren, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, 
not to be shaken in mind or troubled either by the spirit or by the word or by the letter as if from Christ, as though the day of Christ had come. Listen to this. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now that word falling away has been misinterpreted by many to speak of turning your back to the truth. Apostia in the Greek. But the word doesn't mean just a turning away from the truth. It means so much more than that. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.